Today we are in our second week of our month-long look at the Old Testament book of Ruth. And the book of Ruth, by the way, is considered by many literary experts to be one of the finest short stories ever written. Uh, Literary experts agree that this story, besides being a beautiful story just to start with, is perfectly organized, that it has the three components that all well-written short stories need to have. It has a very strong beginning. It has an engaging, eventful middle, and it has a satisfying end. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And last week, Barry talked about the book of Ruth's strong beginning, and what a sad, strong beginning it is. Just to recap briefly the beginning, it starts with a Jewish man named Elimelech and his wife Naomi, along with their two sons, Malan and Chilion, who leave Bethlehem due to a terrible famine, and they immigrate to the not-so-friendly nation of Moab. And once there, after settling as immigrants in Moab, Elimelech dies, and Naomi is left a widow. And following their father's death, the two sons, Malon and Chilion, they both marry local Moabite girls. But sadly, again, within the next 10 years, Malan and Chilion both die. And they leave Naomi not only a widow, but now she's a childless widow. And as Barry pointed out last week, a childless widow living in a foreign land would have been a terrible situation at that time. And Naomi then decides that it's time to return to Bethlehem. And at first, both of her daughter-in-laws choose to go with her back to, to Bethlehem. But as they're traveling, Naomi says to the two widows that the best thing that they can do is just to go home to Moab and be with your families and start a new life together. And one of the daughter-in-laws does just that. She turns and she goes back to Moab. But the other young woman, a woman named Ruth, she says, no, I'm going to stay with you, Naomi. And she swears that she'll never leave her, no matter what might happen. And that is the beginning of the story. And as Barry pointed out so clearly last week, Naomi, a woman who it seems has lost everything because she is a widow without children other than a foreign daughter-in-law, she has every reason to feel that God has raised His fist against her, and that's where the beginning ends. Now today we come to the second chapter of Ruth, which marks the beginning of the middle of the story the part of the story where events start to happen. And I I do need to tell you that this middle part of the story that we're going to be looking at today in chapter 2 will not come to any final conclusions. All of that happens at the very end of the story, but today's passage, 
chapter 2 is still a chapter where Ruth's story not only takes a significant unexpected turn, but just like last week's chapter, it is going to have some important things to say to us today about our lives. So let's all turn to chapter 2 in the book of Ruth. It's on page 225 in the House Bible, but everybody needs to be looking at the, at the chapter because we're going to read the whole thing eventually, and you'll need to follow along. Um, I want to welcome the people on line. I wonder how many of you are like on fall break in Florida or something watching us. Did you all read that the airport this week was the busiest it's been in history in Indianapolis ever? It's never been busier for people escaping. So, hey, and uh, let me pray for us though before we get going. So, Father, thank you for this passage. Thank you that we have this story that you have worked over the centuries to make sure that it is still a part of our lives and a part of our faith. Help me to uh, represent you well and to represent the truth in your word here. Well, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, verse 1. Now, there's a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. Now, I just want to stop a moment and tell you that the Hebrew words, they're Gabor Ha'il, that give us what is translated in our translation, wealthy and influential. Those words, those words in the Hebrew are used to say all kinds of stuff if you read Hebrew stories and stuff. Um, they could mean that Boaz was strong, like just physically strong, or they could mean that he was a man of high social standing. These words are used to say that. Or they could also say that he was a war hero. And we can't be certain exactly what the author meant here, but anyway, we might translate uh, Gibor Halil. And I just want to say this, that wealthy and influential is a great translation. But anyway, you might translate it would say that Boaz was a big deal in Bethlehem, okay? So this guy isn't just anybody, he's a big deal. It goes on to say, one day Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go out into the harvest field to pick up stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. Now clearly, Ruth knew of the commandments in the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy that say this, when you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields. Do not pick up what the harvesters drop. Leave it for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. Now that's what it says in Leviticus. That's pretty clear. You're not supposed to pick stuff up. But it goes even further in Deuteronomy. Listen to this. When you are harvesting your crops and forget to bring in a bundle of grain from your field, don't go back and get it. Leave it for the foreigners, the orphans, and the widows. When the Lord your, then the Lord your God will bless you in all you do. When you beat the olives from your olive trees, don't go over the boughs twice. Leave the remaining olives for the foreigners, orphans, and widows. When you gather the grapes in your vineyard, don't clean the vines after they are picked. Leave the remaining grapes for the foreigners, the orphans, and the widows. Remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt. This is why I'm giving you this command. Now, we have no idea how closely the 
Israelites were following these rules. We do know that the story takes place during what's called the time of the judges. You can read all about the time of the judges in the book of Judges, and it actually ends. That book actually ends with these words. It says that everyone in Israel did what they thought was right in their own eyes. Now, that's not good. In other words, some people were obedient to God's commands and others were ignoring them completely, whatever they wanted to do. But Ruth knew that she and Naomi needed some food. And since it was, as the last verse in chapter one said, it was the time for the barley harvest, she knew that she could, she must have assumed that she could find some good farmer somewhere who was following the commandment of the Lord, a, a farmer who would be kind enough to let her as a foreigner and a widow, she's two of the three things, let her gather some of the leftover grain. And it goes on, and well, Naomi replied, all right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters, and as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. Now, exactly how Boaz, who, by the way, is now the third primary character in our story, we've got Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz now, how he was related to Elimelech, we can't tell from the Hebrew. We just know he's related. But him being a relative of Naomi's husband is really an important detail, and it will come, we'll learn all about that detail pretty soon. And something else in this verse, the phrase, and as it happened, as it happened, believe it or not, may be the most important little bit in this entire chapter and maybe in the entire book. Believe it or not, this is where we need to park for a while. Let me just say that. The phrase in Hebrew is karamikre, and it meant something like this, as luck would have it, or can you believe it? But actually, this was a tongue-in-cheek phrase that the original readers would have recognized immediately that the author was winking when he said, as it happened, like that. They would have known that the author was telling us that there's a fourth character in this story. Someone who's unseen, who's busily arranging things to happen, the events of the story. And of course, we all know who this fourth character is. It's God. And so, with the use of these two small words, the author has told us that there was nothing lucky or coincidental, or can you believe it, about Ruth finding herself in a field that belonged to a relative of her father-in-law. Verse 4 says, while she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, and he greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, the harvester replied. By the way, these sorts of greetings to one another at that moment would have clued in the first readers who were reading this story that these were good people, Boaz and his workers. They're good people who were doing what they felt was right in the eyes of the Lord, just with that language. It says, then Boaz asked his foreman, who is that young woman over there? 
who does she belong to? And the foreman replied, she's the young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. And she's been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes of rest in the shelter. Now, the commentators have come up with all kinds of reasons as to why Boaz would have noticed Ruth. Did you notice I gave it a bit of a spin when I said he, what did I say? He says, who is that young woman over there? Well, some people say it was her clothes, that she was still wearing her mourning clothes, M-O-U-R, mourning clothes for losing her husband. Could be. Some people say that it was her foreign appearance, that she did not look Jewish. Other people say that she was a beauty. He's like, hey. We don't know. I'm just going to leave it at that, okay? You can decide what you want it to be. But we do know this, that Boaz noticed Ruth, and he immediately wanted to give her some special attention. Boaz went over, and he said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go into any other field. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. See which part of the field they are harvesting, and then follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness, she asked. I am only a foreigner. Uh, yes, I know, Boaz replied, but I also know about everything that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. And I've heard how you left your father and your mother in your own lands to live among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. Now, just take my word for it, um, Boaz was showing Ruth an incredible amount of favor here. And did you notice that the reason that he wanted to show her so much favor was because of her faithfulness to Naomi? Bethlehem wasn't a very big place. It was a small village. And he'd heard all about what she had gone through to bring her to this moment. He knew all that Ruth had been through. And you can see his deep appreciation of her situation and his, his understanding of how faithful she had been to Naomi when he blesses her, when he said those words, when he said, may the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. Well, Ruth responded by saying, I hope I continue to please you, sir. You have comforted me by speaking so kindly to me, even though I am not one of your workers. I just want you to know that the Hebrew phrase that gives us under the wings you've come to take refuge actually pictures a little tiny bird, a little tiny bird who takes refuge under the wings of a very large mother bird who is of another breed. I don't know that Boaz could have pictured any better for who Ruth was a young foreign widow in a, in a place where she really did not belong, and yet she had taken refuge under the wings of the great God and the people of Israel. But you know, Bo Boaz's kindness gets even deeper. Verse 14 says, at mealtime, Boaz called her, come over here and help yourself to some food. You can dip your bread in the sour wine. 
So she sat with the harvesters and Boaz gave her some roasted grain to eat and she ate all that she wanted and still had some left over. Now, can I just say that what Boaz was doing here was in their culture, it was more than just being generous with Ruth. He was being lavishly over the top with her and he wasn't done. Goes on and says, when Ruth went back to work again, Boaz ordered his young men to let her gather grain right along among the sheaves without stopping her and pull out some heads of barley from the bundles and drop them on purpose for her and let her pick them up and don't give her a hard time. Let's just say the boss had spoken. So Ruth gathered barley there all day and when she beat out the grain that evening, it filled an entire basket and she carried it back into town and showed it to her mother-in-law. Ruth also gave her roasted grain that was left over from her meal. See, Ruth is even thinking about Naomi as she's eating. She's thinking, I gotta save some for my mother-in-law. Where did you gather all this grain today? Naomi asked. Where did you work? May the Lord bless the one who helped you. So Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man in the, whose field she had worked. She said, the man I worked with today is named Boaz. Let's say this is the point in the story where Naomi's brain gears start going. She's, what? Boaz with you? He's paying attention to you? You can just see what she's thinking. She says, may the Lord bless him, Naomi told her daughter-in-law. He is showing kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. Then Ruth said, what's more, Boaz even told me to come back and stay with his harvesters until the entire harvest is completed. Good, Naomi exclaimed. Do as he said, my daughter. Stay with his young women right through the whole harvest. You might be harassed in other fields, but you'll be safe with him. So Ruth worked alongside the women in Boaz's fields and gathered grain with them until the end of the barley harvest. Then she continued working with them through the har wheat harvest in the early summer, and all the while she lived with her mother-in-law. Now, a couple of things. First, when Naomi says, he is showing kindness to us as well as your dead husband. I'm just going to say it's a toss-up in the Hebrew as to whether that he is God or Boaz, he is showing kindness. Now scholars fuss. I have no problem with the ambiguity. It's clearly both as far as I'm concerned. God and Boaz are showing kindness to Ruth. And second, this business of a family redeemer is a cultural reality that has almost no connection in our world at all. The Hebrew word is goel. And a goel was not necessarily a specific relative like a father or an uncle or a brother or nothing like that. But it was someone in the wider clan, the family, the big family, who was considered to be the one family leader who had some specific responsibilities to everyone, and there were two big, big responsibilities. The first one was the Goel was responsible 
to buy back any land that anybody in the family might have sold because they'd gotten into economic hardship. When the Jews first came into Israel, they were given a certain amount of, man, of land, and everybody had this land. And the families then divided, like the tribe, the big tribe got this much, and then each family got a hunk. And the goel was to make sure that we didn't lose this hunk because somebody got poor and sold it to somebody else. So if you sold your land, the goel was to make sure that we figured out a way to buy that land back for the family. And the second responsibility was that if somebody sold themselves into slavery because they got into trouble economically, the goel was supposed to find a way to buy them back out of slavery so they could be in the family and not be a slave to somebody. Now those are huge responsibilities, but you can see from those things that a goel is supposed to do, a family redeemer is what they're supposed to do, why Boaz appreciated Ruth's faithfulness to Naomi. We're going to find out later that Naomi owned some land, and I'm sure he was worried that she was going to sell it because she didn't have anything else. And here's Ruth working hard to make sure that they're not so poor that they have to sell that land. Ruth, even though she's a Moabite immigrant, she was faithfully looking out for one of his own and in fact, the last sentence in the chapter tells us that Ruth continued to be faithful to Naomi. She lived alongside of Naomi. She cared for her just as she'd promised. Naomi's people had become Ruth's people, and Naomi's God had become Ruth's God. And this is where chapter 2 ends. Ruth is providing for Naomi by working in the fields of Boaz, who's a kindly relative of Naomi's deceased husband. And we can see that there are all kinds of possibilities swirling around in Naomi's mind for Ruth and Boaz. Now, what do we learn from this middle of the story chapter? Well, for me, as I said earlier, the most important part of all of chapter 2 is the tongue-in-cheek phrase, as it happened. What this phrase tells me is that the fourth character in this story has been busy. And to be honest, this entire second chapter has been written under an umbrella of the fourth character working. This fourth character, as it happened, is the one who made the rules for harvesting. And this fourth character, as it happened, is the one who was concerned about foreigners and orphans and widows sharing in the bounty of the harvest. And this fourth character, as it happened, is the one that directed Ruth to a specific field that, as it happened, was owned not only by a godly man, but as, as it happened, was the goel in Naomi's family. And the author clearly wants us to know that God has been busy behind the scenes working alongside the decisions and the circumstances of the other characters in this story. And this has got me thinking. Last week, Barry said much of what chapter 1 tells us is that it's okay to shake our fists at God in the midst of terrible circumstances that our bitterness in the midst of confusing times of suffering isn't something that God can't handle. In fact, it's what He would prefer from us, that we stay engaged and that we allow Him have a back and forth with us when we're in a time of trial. Can I just say that I agree 100% with what Barry said last week, wholeheartedly. 
But this week, we are introduced to the flip side of that coin. I know that nowhere in this entire book do we read that, and God did this, or then God moved in this manner for them. It never says anything about God doing anything in this whole book. All we get is, as it happened. But what a huge statement that little phrase is making. I don't do this very often, but can I tell you a story? Can I just tell you a story? As it happened, a long time ago I went to a Bible college in the north of England. I had finished my studies, I'd graduated, and Jennifer and I were planning on staying in England at least two more years minimum. Uh, We'd sold our home here. We'd sold our car. We'd gotten rid of most of our furniture. We'd gone to England with no plan really to come home for a good while. We had two children, and Jennifer was carrying our youngest at the time. And well, as it happened, I became good friends with one of my professors. And as it happened, he lived on the top of what I can It's an unusual piece of ground. Now, if you've ever watched any of those English shows, it's one of those things where there's like a big cliff, and at the bottom, the ocean's all coming in, and there's this huge cliff, and then up at the top of this big hill was where my professor lived, and on that big mountain, really, called the Wharton Crag is what it was called, he lived up there with, then there were three farms on that top. Three farms. One was my professor's land. One was a the farm of a middle-aged farmer, a man who had a farm in there. And the third farm was that of a very elderly man. So there are three farms on the top of the Warren Craig. Well, as it happened, the middle-aged farmer hurt his back, and he needed some help on his farm. And as it happened, my professor knew that I, as it happened, had worked on the family farm for years. And, and so the, they, he got us together, and the middle-aged farmer hired me to help him while his back recovered. Well, as it happened, while I was working one day, I noticed that the roof on the elderly neighbor's 500-year-old barn was on fire. And as it happened, I had visited him just a couple of days earlier and realized that he kept animals in that barn, and he also had great big carts with little chicks in it thousands of chicks in that barn. And I also knew that there was no one else on the top of that mountainy crag that could save any of those animals if they were in the barn but me. So I ran over to the barn, through the field and over to the barn, and I released his horses. He had three horses, and he had about eight sheep, and they were all in the barn. And then he had all these crates of chicks, and somehow I got those chicks all out of the barn and into the barnyard as the roof was raging in fire in all of the rafters above my head. Well, eventually, literally everyone from the nearby small local village hiked their way up to that farm because a big fire like that would draw everyone. But there was nothing anyone could do because there wasn't any water up there to no fire hydrants or anything up on that mountaintop. 
And so we all stood around and watched the barn burn to the ground. Well, one of the people that had made his way up to the fire was the local chief of police. And I heard him say to the elderly farmer, um, he says to him, how on earth did you get all of your animals out of that barn? And he pointed at me with his cane, and he said, the yank who works for my neighbor saved them all. Now, as it happened, I was the only yank living anywhere near that village. <laughs> and I was on a student visa. I had registered with the police with him when, I moved, when we moved there, when we first came to England. And as it happened, that policeman knew who I was and that I wasn't supposed to be working, especially when, as it happened, England was in a terrible economic collapse at the time, and a quarter of the people of the area where we lived were unemployed. And he came over to me and he said, he called me by name. He said, Tim, we appreciate your bravery, but when your visa comes up for renewal soon, I am going to have to deny it. You're breaking the law by working. And so, he kept his word. And Jennifer and I had to come back to America at least two years before we would, had planned, and we weren't happy at all about it. Well, as it happened, we ended up on the north side of Indianapolis. And as it happened, we started going to Faith Church. And as it happened, not long after we started attending Faith Church, they hired a new choir director, youth group leader, who was named David Rodriguez who soon became not only my friend, but my children's youth group leader. And as it happened, when the time came to plant Grace Church, faith leadership happened to call Dave to be the pastor, and Dave knew that I had been to theology school in England, and as it happened, he was looking for someone to share the pulpit, and he asked me to join him on the preaching team. And then as it happened, he spearheaded my attending Trinity Evangelical Divinity School a few years later, and here I am, as it happened, 25 years later. Now, I'm just saying, no, no, wait. I can, wait, there, I can say there were multiple other as it happens in our lives. Too many to talk about today. But to be completely honest, we were sad and confused and bitter and even angry at God when we came home to America. It was a dream destroyed. England is a land that needs Jesus, and we wanted to spend our lives preaching the word of God to those people. But there was a third character in our story, a third character who was working alongside our decisions and our faithfulness and our willingness to dialogue with him as we navigated our lives. And as it happened, Ruth ended up in Boaz's field, and as it happened, we ended up a few blocks down the street from Faith Church. And as soon we will find out where Ruth eventually lands, and you all know where Jennifer and I landed. And the lesson for me is that I have to be willing to see those as it happens, not as can you believe it, but as the hand of God working in mysterious ways to bring out His intentions. Our call is to consider the pathway, the as it happens, and be willing to believe that when God promised He'd never leave us or forsake us, no matter what the circumstances, He is a man of His Word. And just like Boaz, the Redeemer, who kept his word, 
as we'll see later in the story, his grandson was King David, or great-grandson, I'm sorry. And King David famously wrote a song that is filled with the recognition of God's role in the as it happens. And my bet is that he was thinking about all of the events that happened in his life. And then he came to realize that it couldn't have possibly been just a, can you believe it? No, my bet is that he was thinking, and I'm encouraging all of us to think this way about it, the as it happens were the things that led him to write out these words. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green pastures. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths. He brings honor to his name. Even when I walk through the valley, the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. Your rod and staff protect me and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of mine enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessing. Surely goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. He could only write that because he realized there was nothing in his life that had not been seen and over, I would say, overlooked by the God of the universe. And folks, we have to start thinking like that. The as it happens is that third character who is moving in our lives to do things we could never imagine. Let's pray. Father, thank you, thank you that you are a good God. And again, that we have this story that in its own way tells us that you are present at all times. And that Ruth, who was the least of the people of Israel at the time, was someone you cared about deeply and you were working to bring honor to your name through her life. May we be people who are prepared to give you the credit for all that you do to bring about the goodness that you want to bring in the world. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for watching, but don't stop there. We want you to find community at Grace Church, and the first step in doing that is going to gracechurch.us hub. There you'll find other sermons, details about upcoming events, and other important announcements. And make sure you subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out when we post something new. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time.